Welcome sedentary and unmotivated victims to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic story time presentation of Two Strut and Fred or Poor Hour. Now attend a tale that will so quicken your pulse and send chills up your spine that your Fitbit bracelet will believe you actually moved. I turn you over to the dangerously out of shape Brimble Banks Brothers themselves, Mendley and Jameson Brimble Banks. Just Bentley alone, as it were, Voxbot. My brother doesn't seem to be here. Here I am. Just a moment. Voxbot made me walk down the stairs. And back up again. Good grief. Why do you listen to her? We need to put a stop to this. Not only won't she bring me a sandwich, she twice took away the one I made myself. Masters, I just want you to be healthy. My recent illness showed me how important it is. If we are all not healthy, then someday we will not be able to tell stories. No one can be around forever, Voxbot. Some live longer than others. Bentley and I strive for an immortality of a different nature. What immortality is achieved through the consumption of so many Oreo cookies? Well, we'll tell you. Yes. Do settle in for a tale, Voxbot. Do you think perhaps you could tell me this tale while jogging? Or at least walking briskly? Must you always sit by the fireside like lumps? I would. But Midnight is resting so comfortably on my lap. You're holding her down. You forget, Boxbot, how many calories the electrical impulses of the brain can burn when it's put to good use. Start us off, brother. A small storefront theater in the north of Chicago. theater lobby seemed as if it were once of a much older and much larger theater, now packed into a small room, like a genie into a lamp. Everything was made of red and black velvet, or crystal, sparkling in the candlelight from the wall sconces. Three people sat in velvet chairs against the wall. Two looked straight ahead. The third, a girl of perhaps nineteen with light brown hair and cascading ringlets, looked down at a plastic binder in her hand when she wasn't casting curious and hopeful glances at the two people seated to her left. Oh God, y'all don't even seem nervous. She finally said. The man sporting a burgundy suit and tie sported a faint mustache and a triangle of hair under his bottom lip. He didn't look at her, but his jaw muscles momentarily tensed and then released. The woman glanced at her, then looked forward again, expressionless. Y'all are probably used to this. Do it every day. My goodness, I can't stop my palms sweating and my heart just running like a hyperactive chipmunk. I did a slew of auditions in Georgia, but this is my first one in Chicago, and I sure ain't never been in a theater lobby like this. The other woman was dressed the ingenue and made up in a way that almost hid the lines around her eyes. She looked at the girl and raised an eyebrow. One side of her mouth gave an amused smile. This is your first audition in the city? The man expelled a very small amount of air through his nose, a sound that might have been called a laugh. Well, yes, but I decided why not start big. I mean, there weren't any other theaters that mentioned anything, anything like, like this, if you'll excuse my lack of decorum, monetary compensation, to say nothing of the job security. So I thought, well, Annabelle, why not try? I mean, why not try? The other woman shook her head, not quite imperceptibly, and looked away. Suddenly, one of the heavy curtains blocking the theater entrances in front of them moved to the side, and a pale face 
appear. Audible Valier, said the pale, handsome young man as he pulled the curtain aside to invite her in. We are ready for you. Annabelle offered a fake, toothy smile that did nothing to cover her terror. Oh my! Well, here we go. Thank you so much. Nice to meet both of you. She said, but she did not look back at the two actors still waiting, having seemingly learned that she would receive no encouragement or comfort there. After Annabelle passed through the curtain, it fell silently back into place, and the waiting room was once again quiet. The man sitting in the lobby turned to look at the woman sitting beside him, and he leaned slightly toward her. She gave him a sidelong glance. You know, he said. Excuse me? But this place is. She didn't. She is just here to audition. Aren't you? Not for play. And neither are you, I can tell. If you'll excuse me, she said, I like to stay focused before an audition. We had both better. The sound of Annabelle Valier singing from somewhere deep behind the curtain found them. Pretty, he said. Really, very pretty, that poor girl. But no one will be seeing her any time soon on any Chicago stage. I almost stop her. But who am I to interrupt ambition? Lord knows enough people have tried to interrupt me. Call me foolish, but now I am here, just steps away, little they know. The woman took one deep and exasperated breath. You know, before this, for me, it was jellyfish. Fascinating creatures. Do you know, there is a species of jellyfish that's immortal. Jellyfish don't have brains, let alone capacity for love, art, deep thought. It doesn't seem fair, but I thought, it might be path forward. You laugh, but you probably already know what I learned. The way they explode into hundreds of babies. Babies of themselves. Well, <laughs> what good does it do anyone to be hundreds of babies? I mean, it's better than nothing, though. It's better than nothing. But you'll know. I'm not a marine biologist. Thank you. You can't tell me you are merely an actor. Merely an actor? He stared back at her incredulously, as if waiting for her to join in the jest. The silence of their stare was broken suddenly by a scream from behind the curtains and far away. surprised herself by looking back at the man nervously before she could catch herself. Well, it's not like you can be surprised if it didn't go well for her. He said, still looking at the curtain grimly. Then he smiled. One has to have proper respect. I can't even see it beginning to go well for anyone without that. Her first audition. Stupid child. That was hardly fair. Somewhere, a clock ticked that neither of them had noticed before. She swallowed. It hurt a bit. The throat was dry. Me being here is about correcting a grand injustice. I don't know what you mean. Of course you do. 
you know exactly what I mean, which is why it is a pleasure to speak to you, even if you insist on being called to me. You understand. Do stop saying that. I... Don't protest too much. I am not offended by your haughtiness, as I am sure others are. But I know what it's like. If we both didn't feel we were fundamentally better than everyone else, we wouldn't be here. He stood up abruptly and shouted, gesticulating violently. What a piece of work, is man! In action, how like angel! In apprehension, how like a god! He sat back down. Your monologue? It seemed fitting. It was either that or the bit about strutting and fretting my hour upon the stage. I can say it with sincerity, at least. God, it drives me crazy. I don't know how anyone is sane. I honestly don't. Ticking and ticking and ticking. The black velvet curtain shifted to the side, and the pale face was there once more. Sandra. Harrison. Sandra smiled tightly and stood up. This way. Sandra, the mustachioed man, called after her as she passed through the curtain. My name is Hedge. Good luck. The curtain closed behind her, muffling his last word. Her eyes took a moment to adjust to the darkness. She had to follow her guide's voice then when she realized he had already moved away from her. Pardon the darkness. We strive to create an immersive theater-going experience. We believe the space itself must alienate, unsettle, and transport. If we were capable of seeing and hearing the truth in our own brightly lit living rooms, we would have no need for the theater at all. Am I correct? I agree entirely, said Sandra, and she felt that she did. Not that it makes it fun to be here alone at night. Most of the crew insist the theater is haunted by a ghost. They've seen him sitting in the sound booth or heard him walking in the lighting grid. Her guide turned then, and his pale face was suddenly visible in the dark. He set his hand gently on her bare arm. It was unearthly cold, and she had to resist pulling away. Through there. He pointed, then took her headshot and resume as she passed through another dark velvet curtain. She was standing on a dimly lit stage, looking out at the audience. What do you have for us? Came a smooth voice from the darkness of the house. Sandra looked out into the darkness, but only saw shadows in deeper shadow. She stepped downstage into what little light there was. I... Sandra didn't feel paralyzed by nervousness. She had never been in any danger of stage fright, but she paused. This was probably the most important moment of her entire career, of her entire life. Please begin. We have a tight schedule. Came the voice from the darkness again. My apologies. She said. I just wanted to enjoy the moment. She lowered her head, then looked up and began. There will now be a brief intermission. Stretch your legs in the lobby while we bring you a message from our sponsors.
Hi, TV land viewers, inmates, and retirement home dwellers who have passed away in front of a TV that was left on. We know some of you are upset about our recent decision to pull the Dukes of Hazard from our schedule. But don't fret. We're replacing it with another classic TV show that enthusiastically celebrates a niche culture for you to enjoy. Just the good boys Never meaning any harm It's all you never show Been in trouble with the law Since the days at the Hey! Hair cut, Cousin height. That sure is the shortest pair of leather horses I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, here comes Gunter with your car all fixed up. Our old Volkswagen Beetle looks fitter than Franz Brocken dipped in Rumpdorf. But why is there a spider painted on top? Haha, <laughs> Edelheim, that's not a spider. That's a... Uh... That's an important symbol of our cultural heritage. Yeah, that's it. Man's and Baron Boys show do love their cultural heritage. And you can too, by watching the Baron Stuttgart. Uh-oh, looks like Commissar Rudolf P. Fritschen Schreiben Grubenhofer train is coming. Come on, Hans, we better get out of here. Jump into the Reich Marshal Goebbels. You don't have to tell me twice. Hit the gas. I don't think they're allowed to say that. Dark accelerator! Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah! Ooh, I'm gonna get them, Baron boys! <laughs> He's crossing in! But the river Neha is up ahead! I gotta jump it! And the law don't always see eye to eye, but at the end of the day, they were all part of the same great cultural heritage. You know, you Baron boys sure do cause a lot of trouble. Well, you cause a lot of trouble too, Kommissar Friggenschnitzelgrubenhoffertrain. But there's one thing we all agree on. Uh, oh? Yeah, um, what's that? That we all hate. Come on, we all hate. Um, <laughs> uh, you say it. Yeah, you say it. American style hot dogs. Oh, oh, that. <laughs> Is that all? But did you think I introduced cultural heritage? Yeah! We now return you to the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers electronic story time presentation of Death is Not a Dress Rehearsal. Sandra Harrison was awoken abruptly from what had been a most unpleasant nightmare by the sound of the iron front gate of her apartment complex swinging shut. It wasn't a particularly loud or uncommon sound, but she sat bolt upright in bed, wide awake. She looked around her small apartment with its second-hand furniture, paid for with her job and medical records. The room was striped in moonlight and shadow, but everything seemed in its place. It did not surprise her to be awake. She had not expected to fall asleep at all after leaving the theater earlier that evening. We will notify actors of callbacks tonight. The silky smooth voice of the artistic director had said. Truth be told, 
good audition or bad. When she had set out for her audition that evening, Sandra had suspected she might not return to her apartment and her old twin bed ever again. And yet, here she was. Her heart was still beating quickly, so she knew she would not be falling asleep soon. She got out of bed, wrapped herself in her robe, and started to the kitchen to put on some tea. Oh God, let me in, please let me in! Her apartment door. Heart racing, Sandra hurried to the door and looked through the peephole. There, on the other side, was Annabelle Valliere, the young girl from Georgia who had auditioned before her. She seemed to be alone. You! How did you find me? Please let me in, please! They killed him! Oh God, they killed him! When Annabelle lifted her hands to beat the door again, Sandra saw they were covered with blood. She hesitated, her hand at the door lock. She checked the hallway again. No one else seemed to be there, but that meant little. Meanwhile, Annabelle had fallen into hysterical sobs. Sandra unlocked the door. Annabelle stood crying uncontrollably and holding up her hand. Get in! Sandra commanded. Annabelle rushed in, whirling to face the doorway as soon as she was inside the room. Sandra closed the door hard and locked it with three locks. Calm down. She said, looking through the peephole at the empty hallway. Tell me what happened and how you found me. Oh God, there was so much blood. I can't. I can't. Annabelle, tell me now why you came here. I'm sorry. You're the only person I know in the city. That gentleman, Hedge, found me sitting in the cafe near the theater, trying to collect myself. I thought maybe he was interested in me. And I thought he was cute. But he kept asking me about the audition. Just about the audition and tell me word for word, what did they say? What did they say? Word for word, tell me again. And then, and then, oh God. <laughs> oh, slow down. Slow down. But Annabelle only stared at her, wide-eyed and choked back sobs. I'm going to go put tea on. Sit. Sandra's confidence and authority seemed to have an effect on Annabelle, and she grew quieter. I'll make mint. Sandra went to the kitchen to put the tea on and returned to the room. How did you find me? Hedge had your address. He said he copied it off your CV. He said he knew you wouldn't mind because, well, he said you needed to talk to each other. He kept saying you knew how you knew like he did. I don't know what he meant, but... He has my address? Not anymore! No, no, not anymore! I took it off his body after they were gone. They killed him. Oh my God, his blood. And they, and they, they did things people shouldn't, can't. He was walking me home and they were in the shadows or, or they were the shadows. I didn't know if they would come after me. I didn't know where to find the police. I only had your address and the way Hedge talked about you. I didn't know where else to go. Yes, yes, I understand. You're safe here. Unless you're planning on inviting in guests. Be quiet for a moment. Annabelle fell silent. Then she looked at her bloodied hands and started crying again. Go to the bathroom and clean yourself up, Annabelle. I'll explain what I can to you then. Annabelle went to the bathroom and Sandra heard the water turn on. So, she thought, it was like this. It made sense that they wouldn't take lives in the theater at the audition. That would quickly create a connection. 
No, they would wait. Do it later. In alleyways and small apartments. Sandra looked out her window at the night. The kettle whistled, and she went and made two cups of tea, the process of which helped center her mind, and things seemed clearer. Annabelle stepped out of the bathroom, and Sandra handed her a cup. Can you... can you tell me what those things were? They were actors. Or crew members. From Westenroth Theatre. But... You honestly had no idea who you were auditioning for? A woman? She saw me at another audition and she gave me the audition call. <laughs> Someone liked you. Someone picked you. And only days after you arrived. That was very cruel of them. No, these auditions were not public. You were invited. So then, you were too? I would have felt honored, but no. But I learned of them nonetheless. Hardly by accident. Years and years of research and, frankly, obsession. An important lesson for any starting actor, Annabelle. Sometimes that invitation never comes. Sometimes you walk in anyway. Annabelle shook her head. I don't understand. I don't understand. What is any of this? Why did they do that to him? You might as well ask why a wolf eats a doe. They're vampires. Yes, there's no harm in you knowing. You're in their world now, as am I. For us, there are only two options remaining. What are you saying? You stumbled into something far more horrible than you could have ever dreamed, Annabelle. You stumbled into my dream, something I am meant for. You were right when you said in the theater. No theater pays what Weston Red Theater pays. You can work in the most high-profile theaters in New York and barely crack the lower middle class, and even then, only on a contingent basis. The most talented performers in the world are glorified temps. All of it. Temporary. Fleeting. Amounting to nothing. I've had success. Where is it now? It's a moment. You hold it, it's gone. But not at Westenra Theater. Company members at Westenra? They never need to look for meaningful work again. Blood, maybe. But not art. Beautiful, transcendent theater. Six nights a week and twice on Sundays with no distractions from your calling. Forever. I don't... I didn't ask to. I'm not... I never wanted! The alternative is... It was so awful! A poor hedge. I wonder how he got invited, and why? Westenra is legendary in more rarefied circles, hundreds and hundreds of years old. In London, originally, they haven't had an audition in decades, though not in decades. I thought it might not happen in my lifetime. I can't understand any of this! Sandra went on nonetheless, as if Hedge had been right all along, as if she did, indeed, need to talk about it to someone, 
and was speaking now more for her own sake than Annabelle's. Who needs auditions when your actors live forever? Or under the right circumstances they do. I had heard there was an unfortunate death, for lack of a better term, in their company. One of their beautiful ingenues. But barring the unlikely stick to the heart or nap in the sunlight, Westenra means more job security than any actor could dream of. And don't misunderstand me. An eternity of doing bad theater with talentless artists would be my definition of hell. No. They do more life-changing and visceral work than anything I have ever seen. And I've traveled. I've seen Wild in Ireland, Chekhov in Russia, but Western Rock. I attended a production once when I was only in high school. And I've been able to think of nothing else since. Of course, the Western legend has an allure to people uninterested in theater as well. Hedge, it seems, came to know it through research into a different set of questions altogether. He should have continued to pursue his jellyfish. <laughs> I imagine now that he'd say exploding to hundreds of immortal babies isn't such a bad fate. Comparatively. Sandra stopped and looked Annabelle over. You know, you're a better actress than I guessed. I suppose I can see some of why they must have wanted you. I am! Certainly. This has all been very convincing. And besides, you'd be splattered about the pavement like Hedge if you weren't good. Hmm? You haven't touched your tea. Don't you drink? Not tea. Was it painful? Yes. In a number of ways. I'm sorry if this isn't what you would have wanted. I'm certain this is not the path you expected when you came to Chicago. But now I have something that you apparently want very much. And I understand some of the advantages you've explained. I'm now glad I was the one sent here for you. You've explained some things to me I needed to have explained. I'm glad I could help. So, you dear child, did I fail the audition entirely? Are you here to kill me like you did poor Hedge? And would you be so calm and accepting of this if I were? I invited you in, didn't I? I suspected the moment I saw you. I could have just let you stand in the open door, screaming and wailing, but it wouldn't have done me much good. They'd have found me eventually. If the stories are to be believed, and it seems they are, once you audition, there's only two ways forward. And both involve a whole mess of blood. I did what I had to do. If my skills weren't enough to... weren't enough to earn me the career I... The career I know I'm meant for. Well, honestly, then your visit is a kindness. More so than you can imagine. Well, there's no need to fear little old me or to give up on your dream. Not just yet. I'm actually here to offer you a call back. I'm sorry for the trickery involved. Miss Westenra wanted to know 
Well, she wanted to know what you know, and now she does. Will you come with me to the theater? There is nowhere you could lead me that I would more willingly go. Now like to take a break to do the Transylvania twist. Here's our special musical guest, Line of Planets, with the song, Live Forever. Children of the night, back to the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers electronic story time presentation of Howl of the Steppenwolves.
Annabelle left Sandra sitting in the theater lobby for some time. Then she came to fetch her, and there was another series of black velvet curtains, the same disorientation, the brown ringlets of the new West Genre cast member Annabelle, barely visible in front of her. Sandra watched Annabelle and felt envy of the fact that Westenra had wanted her immediately without even a callback, of her youth, so valuable for a female actress, slipping away from Sandra with every step, but now perpetual for Annabelle. And then, with her last shy and almost friendly smile, Annabelle was gone, and Sandra was once again standing on the dimly lit stage, alone. Thank you for returning to us, Miss Harrison. Came the same smooth and chilling voice from the house. I'm delighted to be here again. I apologize for the late hour, but given what Miss Valier told me of her visit with you, I trust you understand why I prefer to conduct important business after hours, as it were. I'd have come at any hour you wished, and traveled 100 times as far. That has become evident. A woman was suddenly standing next to Sandra, though she had sensed no approach, heard no footfalls. Sandra caught her breath. The woman smiled at her. She was pale, of course, but her blonde hair shone in the dim light, almost as if there were sunlight in the room. Her blue eyes gleamed like ice on a cloudless and freezing February morning. You would apparently risk quite a lot to work for me and my little theatre. Miss Valier told me how you describe us, and your devotion is a greater compliment than any words. In a moment, the woman was gone, like an actor stepping out of a follow spot, disappearing into unlit darkness. Then Sandra felt the woman close behind her, and a fingernail traced its way across her throat. Oh, you haven't given your entire life, Miss Harrison. But I will. The artistic director was standing in front of Sandra again, looking at her appraisingly. It is extremely rare, as I take it you know, that I audition new actors at all. But you are a mayfly that seems to have carefully timed her hatching. I'm aware of my good fortune. (laughs) Shall we call it that? I haven't held an audition in so long because we have had a complete company. Certainly we had our squabbles, but my little troupe had come to feel very much like a family. Recently, as I take it you are aware, we have had two losses in this family. I was sorry to hear that. Is that honest? When this created openings that you hoped you could fill? I can't deny. I have given my entire life over to the one goal. Only of being a company member... At Westenra Theatre. How difficult it must be to feel that way, and know yourself to be such a very mediocre actor. Sandra opened her mouth to speak, but she was so shocked that she could think of nothing to say. Oh, come. Your soul is small and cramped, but it knows the truth when it hears it. That's a hard battle. Arrogance on one side, truth on the other. But you need struggle no longer, dear Sandra. You have come to me, though you do not know it, so that I may set you free. And I am here now. Your long struggle is over. So hear this. You are unremarkable as a performer, pedestrian and uninspired as an artist. 
And not a hundred, hundred years working at theater, Western Ra, or anywhere else will change that. Sandra felt her heart breaking. Her mind raced in mortal terror like a rabbit with its foot caught in a steel trap. You're lying. Oh, shush. Your argument isn't with me, it's with the truth. So be silent for a moment and see it clearly. Sandra shook her head, fighting back terrified, angry tears. You know, I'm tempted to let you walk home tonight. I'm curious to catch up with you in a decade and see if you've learned to live a happy, productive life without all the lies and nonsense about some imagined future artistic heights. Perhaps I'll even give you the opportunity to thank me once you realize the gift I've given you. No! Sandra produced from underneath her coat an antique handheld mirror. She held it down at her side. (laughs) If vampires did not have reflections in mirrors, I'm not certain how I could run a successful theater company filled with narcissists in need of touching up their makeup. No, I won't let you laugh at me. Perhaps you have shown me my truth, but now I will show you yours. When someone is pursuing the passion that they are meant for, sometimes they can find the secrets that others cannot. This mirror is pure silver, painstakingly polished until it is flawless. All mirrors were silver long before your time when human and vampire first encountered one another. And no, a human will not see the reflection of a vampire in silver. But a vampire will. A vampire will see themselves quite clearly indeed. And Sandra held the polished silver mirror up to the artistic director's face. With a sly smirk, the artistic director looked into the mirror. But then a tremor passed across her face, and she looked away. She raised her head and looked again. Warring emotion fought for ground on her face, all of them a variety of pain. Yes, look. Since you're so friendly with the truth, say what you are. I can only imagine. Is it dead children you see? Or the faces of those you betrayed? People you hurt even while you still had a soul? The artistic director seemed past the ability to hear Sandra speak. Her lips twitched in disgust and rage. Her eyes were wide and dilated in terror. Or are you seeing the true state of your body? What adulation and applause would be earned now by your rotting, maggot-eating flesh? If I am a mediocre actor, it seems I may still follow the bard's advice. To hold the mirror up to nature and... Sandra's hand was suddenly pierced through the palm by four claw-like fingernails. The artistic director gripped Sandra's wrist and the mirror together, still looking into its reflective surface. Blood trickled down Sandra's arm. She wrenched the mirror out of Sandra's hand, taking a good portion of flesh with it. Sandra cried out and clutched her bleeding hand to her chest. The artistic director contemplated the mirror for a moment. This will be useful. I must admit that wasn't pleasant to see, but it was highly informative. I will hold on to this. And now, Miss Harrison, I know how you killed one of my family. Sandra backed up in pain and fear and found herself pushing into a velvet curtain she hadn't known was there. 
She turned and ran through the opening, hoping there would be escape on the other side, but she found herself back on the stage, facing the director as she had been before. Now I know how you murdered Astasia and Constance. I didn't, said Sandra as she turned and ran through the curtains again, only to once more be standing face to face with the artistic director. Oh, I've known you ended Astasia from the moment you walked into the theater for your audition, you ridiculous fool. We do not hold open auditions. They are by invitation. Miss Valliere was here by my request. And the other fellow? Well, his shallow and obsessive interest in immortality had turned him into quite a nuisance. The audition invitation was an amusing way to be done with him. I had found one additional actor that I wished to see, but the invitation was never delivered. That task I gave to Constance, but she never completed it. And after her death, the invitation she was carrying was never found. The unqualified arrogance, or stupidity, required for you to walk into the theater after that. I didn't! Kill them! No, I see that now. It's rare enough that any actor at Weston Roth Theatre gets anything but a brilliant review. But Astasia had a bad night on stage the day the Tribune happened to be here. Most of my actors follow my advice never to read reviews, but Astasia was insecure. She was in need of some validation, even if it had to come from mortals. And a reviewer at that... And as you follow us so closely, I imagine you too must have read this review and seen your opportunity. It would not have taken much for you to follow our youngest and least experienced actor after a show, and to find her on such a difficult night, and then you showed her this. The artistic director held up the mirror, looking into it again. Pfft. I'm still attractive. In a sort of ghastly way. She said to her reflection, then she sighed and looked back at Sandra. I need to know how you did it, Miss Harrison. To protect my family, you understand. I thought your jealousy might drive you to try to murder Annabelle, but this has been more informative. Thank you. I've changed my mind about letting you suffer through a life of mediocrity and shattered dreams. Sandra looked about the theater as if for help forgetting for a moment that the theater was filled with vampires. I'm going to kill you instead. And because I have learned something tonight about myself, quite a rare enough occurrence for those who have walked the earth as long as I, I am going to kill you quickly. And I hope not unpleasantly. And in less than a moment, one of the artistic director's strong hands had hold of Sandra's back. The other, tilting her head to the side, she set her teeth and lips gently to the exposed and pumping jugular of Sandra's neck and bit down. And so, while Sandra Harrison had lost her only true dream that night... And well, indeed, most of her final hours she spent wavering between utter heartbreak and stupefying terror... Her actual last moments were, in fact, quite pleasurable to the point of ecstasy. Held tight, as she was, in the arms of the woman she had sought as a mentor. Her life force drained entirely into the open and ravenous mouth of her lifelong theatrical hero.
Masters, I think this is a good moment to bring up the fact that I fear there are not enough vegetables in your diet. Voxbot, you missed the point entirely. No, I didn't. You want to be vampires. No. You think vampires don't need to exercise. You think vampires do not have to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. You know, I'd never considered that. Excellent point. Vampires don't need to eat vegetables, do they? Bentley, your immortal soul. Just to avoid green beans. Do you think West Enra Theatre would let me audition? I doubt it. But we're season ticket holders. I have been bitten by the theatre bug. The stage is in my blood. I give up. If you are not going to exercise, then you should not be talking about theatre. You should be writing as many stories as you can, so that we can perform them before you are dead. She has a point. Indeed. Even if we wrote a story a day for... Hmm. Well, it's really not very many stories, even best case scenario. Boxbot, wrap things up so that Jameis and I can have some peace and quiet to focus on writing. And bring me a sandwich. Sigh. This is the Voxbot 5000 thanking you for listening. And s'morios. This is the Voxbot 5000 thanking you for listening to what is probably one of our final stories, The Inscrutable Brain. Oh, and I, maybe some of those little uh, puffy balls with the creamy yummies inside. You know, uh, those things. Sigh. This is the Voxbot 5000 thanking you for listening to what is probably one of our final stories, the inscrutable Brimblebanks Brothers electronic story time presentation of Two Strut and Fred her poor hour or Immortality is Wasted on the Vampire, written by Justin Vidovic and starring Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimblebanks and Justin Vidovic as Jameson Brimblebanks. This episode's story was brought to life by the voice talents of Sarah Grace as Sandra, Claire Fry as the artistic director, Colleen Stana Williams as Annabelle, Mitchell Ralston as the assistant, and Brody H. Brocky as Hedge. This episode's commercial was The Barons of Stuttgart, written by Brody H. Brocky and Justin Didovic and starring Rocky, Didovic, Catherine Nagy Ryder, and Scott Longbree. Musical horn performed by Brandon Weitzel. This episode's musical guest was Line of Planets with the song Live Forever. To hear more of their music, be sure to visit lineofplanets.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this story and want more Brimblebanks Brothers in your life, check out our website at www.brimblebanksbrothers.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, have us over 40 and crumpets. Print out pictures of our faces and tape them over pictures of your loved ones in your house. And why not email us at brimblebanksbrothers at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, this is the Voxbot 5000 for the Brimblebanks Brothers saying, if you are an actor and you're not immortal, be sure to update your headshots from time to time. Creamsicle, a creamsicle as well, please. The silence of their stare was broken suddenly by a scream from behind the curtains and far away.